Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. We'll see what we can get through, all right? Daniel chapter number 7, verse number 1, same springboard that we came from last week. The Bible says in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. I'm thinking that flashing light over there is doing something with me. Uh, told the sum of ma- and that anybody that hears this later on podcast, that's not part of written scripture. <laughs> Chapter number two. Or verse 2, Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second, like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it. They said thus unto it, Arise and devour much flesh. After this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold... A fourth beast dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly and had great iron teeth. It devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. It was diverse from all the beasts that were before it and it had ten horns. I considered the horns and behold there came up among them another little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in his horn, in this horn, were eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things. Amen. Tonight we're going to try to continue, amen, from last week with the two schools of thought. Amen. I'm going to ask Bishop to pray here for us this evening as we endeavor in this lesson. say amen amen you may be seated this evening and i apologize in advance if some of these uh slides are a little uh, slides that's old terminology but uh, it's still new new term they're still called slides in new terminology uh if some of these are difficult to read whenever i checked it, it was going close on five o'clock and so uh didn't have time to rectify any of that so you just bear with me here uh this evening but two schools of thought uh that we are considering are the beasts that come out of the, the, what is known as the Great Sea, Mediterranean Sea, or uh, peoples, 
humanity within itself sometimes is spoken as a sea. And the first, the first, and I know that's probably difficult to see, but the first uh, mode of thought that we are exploring that uh, the four beasts that came from the sea are modern day empires that will be in existence when the Antichrist is revealed. The other school of thought that we will get to here this evening as well will be that those four beasts that come out of the sea were in fact, uh, or did in fact, parallel the empires that were already depicted in Daniel chapter number 2 whenever Nebuchadnezzar had his dream of that, that dream of a man and the four different uh, metals and, and such that were displayed in it, how each of those empires are, are paralleled or seen also in these beasts. That's the second school of thought. But right now, this evening, we are in the process of looking at the first school of thought, again, uh, as these beasts being modern-day empires uh, that will be in existence whenever the Antichrist is uh, revealed. And as we've seen last week, if you will recall... Uh, some of uh, these animals, uh, if you will, through the first school of thought, uh, these animals, have, some of them have been symbols uh, for particular countries or they may be even found uh, in the coat of arms for particular countries that may represent a whole country. Uh, last week, you will remember, we, we considered the, the lion that had eagle's wings and we looked at the lion uh, being a symbol, if you will, for Great Britain and the United States, of course, the eagle's wings. And you will remember that the scripture stated that those eagle's wings were plucked off, uh, relating that to whenever the 13 colonies uh, here in America uh, got their independence from their mother country, Great Britain, in 1776 and claimed their independence. And so that part of this line with eagle's wings, the eagle's wings were plucked off. The United States separated itself uh, from Great Britain at that point of time. We also, is everybody okay? I don't want to go too quick. I just see a lot of miles in front of me, so I'm, try <laughs> I'm not trying to take too many pit stops either. All right, second beast which arose, which the Bible portrays as a bear that is raised up on one side with three ribs that were in its mouth. Uh, we come to see that the bear is typically, even still yet today, uh, symbolized by uh, the bear, is the Russia rather is symbolized by the bear. So uh, the bear being standing for Russia and notably over the years. And as I said, still yet today, it is notably seen as the bear. And, and then we looked and we, we looked at the idea that within the mouth of the bear were three ribs. Scripture says that three ribs within the mouth of Russia and they the Bible said they spoke and said unto it, Russia or the bear arise and devour much flesh and we looked at these three ribs being three officials that, that came together in the Yalta conference in Russia of 1945 uh, three great uh, people that came together uh, toward the end of World War II at this conference and they came together basically say hey Russia you got six nations during war and there's no reason why you should liberate them and release them just keep them and uh, if you'll remember those three officials were Joseph Stalin who was the Tsar of Russia at the time Winston Churchill who was the Prime Minister of Great Britain and Franklin D. Roosevelt, which was the president of the United States. And I'm trying not to trade a lot of ground, but again, whenever you consider the idea of ribs, the only other place we really see rib mentioned in Scripture is in the book of beginnings, Genesis, uh, whenever Eve was made out of the rib 
of Adam. So we see a correlation of a rib and a person. And so uh, the three ribs in the mouth of the bear, these three uh, particular individuals. Uh, going on though, along though with all of this that was happening and taking place right here at the end of World War II in the Yalta Conference of 1945 and these three superpowers coming together and making this decision for Russia just to keep those six nations spun in all of that was something else that was birthed in that same year and that was the establishment of the United Nations in 1945 and we made mention of that last week uh, we have looked at the United Nations a little bit as a option perhaps of that time frame of the feet of Park Arn and Park Clay and Nebuchadnezzar's vision back in chapter number two but considering and, and if you'll remember the United Nations and I, I'm really trying to not to go backwards a bunch but remember the United Nations the charter and the whole design of it was by name of Alger Hiss who happened to be found out a few years later after he made up the charter for the United Nations to be a Russian spy that was in the United States. And so uh, the charter, the design of the United Nations have a little tendency and flavoring of communism and socialism of Russia that's involved in it. In so much, and I didn't make mention of this last week, in so much, look at the logo or the seal, if you will, for the United Nations compared to the seal of Russia. Very close in comparison, well, Alger Hiss was a Russian and he developed uh, much of what you see even before you. There's a lot of similarities uh, that are there. Amen, why not? You, whenever you have a Russian spy that's designing the charter and it still operates off that same charter, mind you, still today, uh, it's kind of interesting. And so, in essence, whenever we talk about uh, the United Nations, it's nothing more but a governmental system that has been put into place ever since then and just grown stronger. Its members are, are, are becoming more and it's designed economically and politically and militarily uh, to rule the nations, the nations that are involved in it. And no doubt they aspire that someday those nations will be every nation within the world. Amen. And that they might devour much flesh, if you could say. Uh, and I may mention to a few in the foyer on the way out, and this is just kind of one of those side notes for consideration concerning the United Nations. There are about 191 members. This is 2002 uh, stat, about 191 members. And this has been the way it was since 1945, its establishment. There's only five countries out of all of those that have veto power. And those are the five that's listed before you. One of them, the United States, that we're seeing as the eagle's wings. Another, China, which we see as a, a player in end-time prophecy as well. Russia, which is the bear. Uh, Great Britain, which was the lion. And France, and we'll be talking about France a little bit even here this evening. In other words, if they're making uh, decisions on a level for all these members that are involved, say going to war or not going to war, they have the right to stand up and say, no, I'm, I, don't, I veto that. A case in point, not that long ago, President Obama was before the United Nations asking permission concerning all the happenings with Israel and Syria. And uh, they were saying, we just need to keep everything calm on the down and low. And as the United States, they said, if anybody touches Israel, we're going to be there and we're going to have some problems going on. And so they were exercising their right to say what they wanted to say being part of the, the the five countries here that have veto power and they have veto power because these five nations are the ones that were victorious after world war ii and so that granted them within this united nations that was developed after world war ii 
uh, and it developed because hopefully we don't have to uh, decide difficulties and, and, and disagreements by war, but we can do it by a national uh, body of government uh, that these five who were victorious after World War II then are, were granted veto power within that. All right? <clears throat> Look at, isn't that beautiful? That's a nice picture, isn't it? I didn't take that picture. But that's a picture on the east, east side of Manhattan in, in around New York City. And uh, that is the United Nations headquarters on American soil. Uh, in order to keep the United States involved in this system of the United Nations, uh, John D. Rockefeller Jr. donated that land right there, 18-acre plot of land. Uh, to the United Nations, and so it's no longer United States soil, but it is an international zone. It, bring, it belongs to all the members that belong to the United Nations, yet it's on American soil. But it's an international, international zone. All right? Going on, Daniel chapter 7 and verse number 6. So we talked about the lion with the eagle's wings. We talked about the bear. This is just kind of review to get us up to speed where we're at right here. Uh, Daniel 7 verse 6, the Bible says, After this I beheld and lo, another like, another beast in other words, like a leopard. This ain't no ordinary leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. The third beast is a four-headed leopard with four wings of a fowl, all right? Four-headed beast, leopard that is, with four wings of a fowl. And ever since last Wednesday, man, this has just been like trivia for some people. Whenever we didn't reveal who this is or what this is, and I said it kind of changes up a little bit in how they have begun to process what these things are with the first school of thinking and again there's two different schools and I lean more toward one than the other but nevertheless uh, people have come up and said is it is it this is it that so on and so forth uh, and this is a little bit more difficult because Great Britain uh, was the lion uh, and its coat of arms is the lion so you know that's a pretty notable thing there's the symbol uh, the United States of course the American Eagle you know on our money that that's pretty notable as a, a symbol or representation of the United States the bear for Russia again you know it's pretty notable you can look it up on the internet and you can find the bear you know for Russia but for this particular one it doesn't kind of fall in the same category well it's a coat of arms and so it's them or, or it's a notable symbol by means of a flag or something along those lines but uh, uh, scholars uh, smarter than I some uh, believe that Great Britain uh, it's not Great Britain it's not the United States it's not Russia but it's Germany who who is the leopard they say that no other country in history has been more promptly identified uh, with a leopard than with Germany and one of the reasons why that they state this is because even within the past century uh, there were known what was known as the German leopard tanks that were used very heavily in the world wars these leopard tanks were absolutely German and so they believe that no other nation is more accurately associated with the leopard than Germany with that being a bit of the basis which if you want to know Pastor McGee in just a nutshell that's a little bit of a stretch for me okay this is just me and you talking 
That's, well, me and you and whoever else listens to this. But that's just a little bit of stretch for me because we're following this same pattern uh, of a coat of arms or a seal or such that represent a country, and then we get to Germany uh, with their leopard tanks. And there's some other reasons beyond that that we'll get into here very shortly. Uh, but uh, I believe the real coat of arms for Germany is a, is a black eagle, and so uh, it, it's, it didn't mesh. But this, I'm just giving you a couple schools of thought that are out there. Okay, uh, because the thing is, and those who you went last week, these are some of these things that will be before us are things that are still yet uh, to come. And so they believe that these are modern day empowers. Now, I said I won't go do this, but I'm going to tell you, I'm of the other persuasion. Okay, uh, that doesn't mean you have to agree with me. That means study it out for yourself and, and, and draw an opinion uh, concerning the matter. I will say this, when it all is said and done, we're all arriving at the exact same location in the end. <laughs> Okay, uh, but nevertheless, so they, they believe that, you know, these, these are perhaps the leopard. And, and the scripture describes that on the back of this leopard are four wings of a fowl, four wings of a fowl. And so we have, you remember the lion had the eagle's wings, and that seemed to be a representation of two countries, Great Britain and the United States. And so this leopard has uh, the, the wings of a fowl, and uh, they deduced that this representing two countries as well. And amazing, amazingly, the symbol of a fowl, or what would be a fowl, and here they are going back to the same you know, coat of arms symbol thing to represent a country type of idea, is France. France ha- is, is symbolized by a fowl, more notably known as the rooster. Okay, the rooster. And you'll see this all in all representing France. That postage stamp right there is a French postage stamp. The rooster on it. I don't know if you can see that very well. This franc from France, it has a rooster on the back of the coin. Their coinage has a rooster. So they're well known as uh, the country whose symbol is a rooster. And there's a long story of how that came about, but it's no real purpose for us tonight. Uh, you can read it for yourself. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, the fowl. So, so here we have then uh, Germany, the leopard with four heads and the wings thereof uh, being a representation, if you will, of France from this particular uh, thought process. Amen. Uh, here this evening. In addition to the wings of a fowl, this leopard, of course, has its four heads. So we're asking ourselves, what about these four heads? Well, the, the four heads concerning Germany and concerning Europe in large, because uh, Germany and France, uh, Germany and France have a big play roles. They are big hitters in the whole European part of the world. They are big players. And with that being said, Germany had what was known as four successive, and I'll say this name right only because my wife diligently taught me, uh, Reichs, four Reichs uh, that were for them. And the four Reichs that came upon Germany, there was the first Reich, which was the Holy uh, Roman Empire. Then there was the second Reich, which was the German Empire. The Hitler's third Reich, we all are familiar with that, uh, Hitler's Reich. And then there was the what is even in existence right now today, the European Union, the fourth Reich. Now, for all of those with this word Reich, it's, it's, kind of, it's a German word. It's a German word for kingdom or empire. So we're going to talk about four rights, talking about four kingdoms and four empires being represented by four heads of the leopard. 
and don't, uh, don't, that other Reichstag, uh, the Holy Empire had, had a uh, parliament that was put together. That's what they called that empire, Reich, Reich rather, and stag assembly, empire assembly, their parliament, the gathering together of their people. And the prophecy in Daniel chapter 7 says that dominion was given to this four-headed leopard with four wings of a fowl on its back. And whenever we look at the first strike, and these slides are not uh, on or me. I didn't spend the time to put that together today. Someone already had that put together and bless their heart for it. Amen. Uh, but the first Reich, somewhere between 800 AD to 1800 or 1806, was the time of the Holy Roman Empire that began with a historical name by the name of Charlemagne, who is up there, the man Charlemagne. Uh, and most of the emperors during this particular Reich uh, were actually crowned by a pope, and that's what's happening down here in the lower left-hand corner. They are uh, actually crowned by the pope. And so at the beginning of this time frame, about 800 A.D., Charmaine was, now get this, he was a very strong German leader. He was a German leader. And uh, he conducted his, his authority over Europe with his seat being at Germany. And one of his most leading accomplishments was the unification of France. And historians say that the Holy Roman Empire was nothing but an incubator for both modern-day Germany and modern-day France. And that whenever we go back and look at the Franco or French-German alliance that happened years and years ago, that that was really at the heart of the European, the European Union to this day, that European Union, which is another thing that we considered as an option for the time of the part clay, part iron feet in Daniel chapter number two. Uh, that started really a long time ago. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a moment. Newsweek magazine said this in April 9th of 18, 1984. It said, since the time of Charlemagne, this first Reich, the area that is now Germany has been the pivot of European history. In the past 120 years, the Germans have dominated Europe intellectually and militarily. Secondly, that second head of the leopard was the Second Reich, the German Empire, and it began the, the, the statesman of Otto von Bismarck. Amen. Otto von Bismarck. That sounds very professional. Uh, he was known as the Iron Chancellor. Amen. And it was from him, Bismarck at different times had attempted to stop the Catholic political control of Germany, but each time he made an attempt, he failed. That was the Second Reich. The Third Reich, uh, being Hitler's Reich, Adolf Hitler that we're somewhat familiar with concerning history around 1933 to 1945, Hitler came on the scene, and Germany, we understand, became Nazi Germany, a man in Nazi Germany was defeated in the Second World War, if you remember your world history any. And whenever the World War ended and Germany uh, was defeated, there was something that happened concerning Germany. Germany then became East Germany and West Germany at the end of the Second World War. There was the division of Germany. Now, again, we're just exploring the school of thought. But journalists of that era, of that time frame, of the Third Reich, said and related to that era and that time, the separation of Germany into East and West Germany as the time of a deadly wound. The deadly wound was referring to the dividing up of Germany into East and West Germany. It was literally uh, divided. And you will remember, many of you have been alive and remember the Berlin Wall uh, that split East and West 
Germany. And they did this. The reason why this was, because under Hitler's command, Germany rose to such a superpower uh, during World War II and all the slaughtering and the Holocaust of the Jews and all the mayhem that took place. They did not want to see that happen again. And so that's the reason why there was a divided line between East and West Germany. They didn't want to see that confederation of Germany as a whole to rise up again and pose a threat. So this is the reason why that happened. And it was known as the deadly wound. But, and I'm sorry for that red. Again, this is not a slide that I made. I know that's hard to see, but that says deadly wound in red. But that deadly wound was healed. The two countries of East Germany and West Germany was reunited again into one Germany. President Ronald Reagan stood at Bradenburg Gate in 1989 in front of all of the world and he challenged Mikhail Gorbachev to tear down, those are the famous words, tear, tear down this wall. And he was referring to the Berlin Wall that was in Germany that separated East and West Germany. And so if that was the deadly wound in 1989 when that was stated and followed through on, the deadly wound was healed. And the two countries that were east and west now reunited once again as one Germany. There it is in 1989. Within that same year, the Berlin Wall falls. Uh, There's a little newspaper publication concerning it. And whenever it falls, east and west Germany come back together. There is this idea and concept then of a new world order that is now surely going to be coming together. Now, some believe this is just... You can look at prophecy and there are several schools of thoughts out there. And you've got to deduce sometimes, you know, some of the options are better than some of the others. But some believe that that deadly wound that was healed was the deadly wound that was spoken of in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 3. The Bible says, I saw one of his heads, a kingdom, an empire, as it were wounded to death, Germany. They said it was a deadly wound, the separation between East and West Germany. And his deadly wound was healed 1989, Reagan said, tear down this wall. Mikhail, Mikhail Gorbachev then tearing it down in 1989, it being healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. And the world was quite bewildered by the fact that East and West Germany would ever come back together as one Germany, as a confederate, and not be separate anymore. And so they, some consider that to be the deadly wound that was healed. Amen. But with, with the fall of the Berlin Wall and that reunification then of Germany, President, that's President Bush Sr., President H.W. Uh, uh, Bush, George H.W. Bush, declared of March of 1991, and you might be able to see his words up here, he says, now we can see a new world order coming into view, a world in which there is the very real prospect of a new world order. And it was from that time, now remember, uh, the United Nations was already an establishment from 1945. But whenever the Berlin Wall came down, the reunification of Germany happened, and uh, the, the, the United States president speaking about uh, the possibility of this new world order coming together, the United Nations just accelerated at a speed unbelievable as far as getting their ducks in the row and some of the formation of their different departments coming a little bit more sure right during this time frame. They took a tremendous leap forward. Amen. The third head of the leopard, the fourth Reich, Adolf Hitler. The fourth Reich, if you will, from 1951 until about the present time, the fourth, the fourth 
uh, head being the Fourth Reich, uh, the European Union that we have spoke of somewhat today. If you'll remember, now the European Union has been in existence really for years. It's just taken on several different names. It's changed names. It's changed. <laughs> it's changed names more times. Than you probably changed clothes this week. You know, uh, it, it's changed names quite frequently. But interestingly. All the way back in the reason the 1957 Treaty of Rome up there, that was really the first spearhead toward the European Union. And as history would progress, German who were looking at depicting the leopard, Germany, and France that were depicting to be the fowls, the, the feathers of the fowl, the wings of the fowl upon this leopard. These two countries, Germany and France, came together and sponsored what was called the European Coal and Steel Community. Well, that was just an old, old name for what we know today to be the European Union. It started out years ago with their, their, their consolidation and their sponsorship of this European co and still Germany and France, this European co and still community, which involved, evolved into what is present day the European Union. Now, as I said before, we have in previous lessons spoke to a certain extent on the United Nations and the European Union, and we will, before this thing closes out, chapter 12, talk about them again uh, because there's more that I have to share with you about them that makes them viable options for the time of part feet, part clay. But I'm not letting all of my cats out of the bag at once. I'm just, we're trying to just take it and grow with it as, as, as the, the prophecy is a little bit here progressive. But we've looked at them before and we will look at them again in the future as we get closer to the time of the Antichrist that's revealed in Daniel chapter number 7. Now, in either, in either school of thought, uh, we arrive at the same place, all right? And the place that we arrive at is a world government. Whether you think those beasts were modern day empires that's going to be uh, uh, around during the time of the Antichrist or whether you believe them to be the empires that parallel those of Daniel chapter number 2 and Nebuchadnezzar's dream, either way, they both converge at the same point and that is they're coming to a world government. Where they represented the old or they represent the new, we're coming to a world government. Is that world government the United Nations? I don't know. Possibly. Is it the European Union? I don't know. Possibly. Or is it something else altogether? It could be. Amen. If you're looking for uh, things that are still yet to take place, uh, for hard, fast answers for things that are still yet to take place that are prophesied in the Bible, you look now till you die. Because we'll know whenever it all comes into fruition. You'll have many possibilities and maybe options and things that look like it, but you won't know until it actually comes into absolute fruition about whether or not this was or that wasn't. But we arrive at, at the same place. But whatever it is, this world government is going to help usher in uh, the time of the Antichrist that will take place before the Lord comes back. And I'm not talking about the catching of the way of the church, but whenever he comes back and then sets up his kingdom upon the earth. Uh, before all that takes place in the millennial reign of Christ. Now, and I don't know if I skipped something, but I think, nope, I'm good. Daniel 7 and 9. These two verses is the premise to a certain degree why some believe, the first school of thought, that these beasts are indeed modern-day empires, okay? And I'll, I'll kind of walk you through their, their, their thinking. In verse number 9, the Bible says, I beheld till... The thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days sit, whose garment was white as snow, 
so on and so forth. The phrase there, the thrones were cast down. The people after this school of thought believe these are modern day kingdoms because whenever the ancient of days shows up that these thrones, meaning these beasts and these kingdoms uh, must still must be in existence because they are thrown down or they are cast down. That's their, their form of thought that they must still be in existence. Verse number 12, as concerning the rest of the beast, uh, those that we have already spoke of, uh, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. So again, they believe that if, if it's, state, it's stating that as such, then they must be in existence uh, during the time of whenever the Antichrist is going to come. They must be modern kingdoms that are in existence. If their lives are going to be prolonged, they must be modern kingdoms. And so that's, that's kind of their flow of thought, why these might be modern kingdoms. But before we, before we go ahead uh, here this evening and talk about the fourth beast, uh, I want to go to the other school of thought, and I want to just kind of walk through the other school of thought, why these four beasts could, in fact, parallel the empires that were depicted in Daniel chapter number 2. And some of you will remember that image from Daniel chapter number 2, the head of gold, the chest and arms of silver, the belly and thighs of brass, the legs of iron, the feet that are part iron, part clay, and then there's a stone that's taken out without hands and it comes and crushes the feet and everything else that is above it. And so with this being said tonight, and this is why I lean toward, so I might spend more time here just because that's what I lean toward. We find later in Daniel chapter number seven, if you continue to read the whole chapter, somewhere around verse 15 and on, that Daniel is seeking for interpretation to the dream that he had. And an angel of the Lord or something comes and gives Daniel the interpretation of his dream. We went to it last week whenever, you know, it's great whenever Bible does this. He said, the four beasts that you've seen are four kings. That's great. Man, I can wrap my arms around that. There's no doubts in my mind then that those four beasts are four kings. And he gives him that explanation and then Daniel's like, okay, that's great. But I'm really interested in this fourth beast and the little horn that comes up on this fourth beast. So the angel just gave him this simple concept, idea, explanation. The four beasts are four kings, and Daniel's satisfied. I mean, we're talking about a lion with eagle's wings, and we're talking about a bear with three ribs in its mouth, and we're talking about a leopard with four heads and wings of a fowl, and that one verse satisfies Daniel. Okay, just follow my thought process. That satisfies Daniel, and Daniel's more interested in the fourth beast with the little horn, and this is just Pastor McGee, okay. I believe the reason why Daniel didn't have a problem with that one verse explanation is because Daniel understood that those beasts were paralleling what Nebuchadnezzar had already seen in chapter number two. He didn't need any other explanation. He understood there was already a parallel that was taking place, very similar in succession. However, this fourth beast, and especially this little horn scenario, was something quite new. We don't see no talk of a little horn in Daniel chapter number two. But we do here in chapter 7 in Daniel's dream. And so he's interested to learn more about that particular part of the dream that he had. He needs some clarification, if you will, on the little horn, which wasn't in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And so personally, this is one reason why I believe that, that this dream Daniel had corresponds with the dream of Nebuchadnezzar uh, rather than, than representing the modern day uh, kingdoms like we just went through, that first school of thought. 
uh, he needed explanation apparently for what was new to him and those other beasts was just such of a parallel uh, tongue and groove of what he had already seen in Nebuchadnezzar's image in chapter number 2 he didn't need much explanation there and consider King Nebuchadnezzar whenever he had the dream of these empires and he's seen all this he saw the image of a man didn't he seems to have all these precious metals that's quite glorious there's strength and there's value in all of them but whenever Daniel looks at them <laughs> let's say he's looking at the same thing same empires he sees something quite dreadful uh, he sees beasts <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar sees a man with, with valuable metals and, and Daniel sees beasts and there's terror and, and there's going to be death but we got to understand we understand this Nebuchadnezzar was a man with a dream without the leading of the spirit Daniel is a man with having a dream with the leading of the spirit through the eyes of man what is coming may look quite glorious uh-huh from the perspective maybe strength and value but Daniel being led by the spirit sees it as it is these are beasts these are ravening every one of them a lion a bear a leopard all of them are beasts and even the the except for the rooster in there if that indeed what that is but when we're talking about the beasts of themselves all of these are beasts of they're they're predators they're predators they're they're, they're devouring and so we, we we see them from these different points of view one seems very innocent the other one not so innocent and so what's your worldview tonight you know are you seeing something glorious are you seeing something uh, strength and powerful concerning the succession of kingdoms or are you seeing it as it is a beast so we go back then to the thought here we are second full of modern kingdoms that's passed away now we're entering another school of thought here second school of thought they parallel daniel chapter number two and the dream that nebuchadnezzar seen daniel and daniel and nebuchadnezzar's dream both parallel on each other being the same just two different perspectives so to say the lion with the eagle's wings then we know the head of gold was what anybody the head of gold in daniel chapter number two was nebuchadnezzar babylon so if it's paralleling then the first beast that arises out of the sea and again folks if you'll remember if the sea is the Mediterranean sea you remember when we look back and seen the domain of babylon the domain of medo-persian the domain of greece and the domain of all these remember it all encircled the Mediterranean sea whenever it got to the end of the roman empire it encircled all about the Mediterranean sea so these four beasts are coming out of the sea if you will the Mediterranean sea and the first one is this line with eagle's wings and so if we follow the pattern that they're a parallel this must be babylon but it's not just good that we're saying okay it's parallel let's have a little bit more proof well babylon used used both the lion and the eagle as national emblems for themselves Matter of fact, the winged lion was a favored image in Babylon. This right here is from the ancient city gates of Babylon, which is depicted in so much so as a winged lion from the city gates of Babylon. Furthermore, Scripture, Scripture states in Jeremiah 4, 7, the lion, and if you read the context of the Scripture, it's referring to this lion, it's being Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. The lion is come from his thicket, and the destroyer of the Gentiles is on his way. He has gone forth from his place to make thy land desolate. Thy city shall be laid waste without an inhabitant. In the context in which this is being stated, whenever it says the lion, who, who it's referring to is Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. 
Furthermore, in Ezekiel 17, 3, another verse of prophecy. They say, thus saith the Lord God, a great eagle. The context, you got to read it, in which it is set. The eagle that is making mention of, it is speaking of once again, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. So here is two episodes. These are just two of more. There's more than just these, but just two in Scripture where Nebuchadnezzar is referred to in the Bible as either the eagle or the lion. And so whenever we consider this, it's, it's, a, it's a great eagle with great wings, which could be speaking of the vast uh, empire that Babylon had, long-winged, full of feathers, a multitude of people, diverse colors of many different uh, nationalities and nations that was composed in that. Amen. But, but, but remember also, on more than one occasion, the Bible, listen, if you remember, talked, and we've already went through this, about Nebuchadnezzar being a king of kings remember that said he wasn't the king of king there's only god's the king of king but spoke of nebuchadnezzar as a king of king the bible even states of him being a ruler over them all let's look at a few verses of scripture that we've already went through daniel 2 verse 37 thou o king it's speaking to nebuchadnezzar daniel was speaking to him art a king of kings for the god of heaven hath given thee a kingdom power and strength glory look at verse 38 and wheresoever the children of men dwell and this is important note the beast of the field and the fowls of heaven hath he given to thine hand to nebuchadnezzar's hand and hath made thee ruler over them all thou art this head of gold he said now look he says you 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 have rule over all of them you're ruler over all of them over all of what those things I have underlined in verse 38. You're ruler over the children of men. You're ruler over the beast of the field. You're ruler over the fowls of heaven. Tell me, who is the king of the forest and the jungle? Who? The lion. He says, you're the ruler over the beast of the field. Tell me, who is, who is the, the king of the air? The eagle. He says, you're the ruler. You're the king of the beast or the beast of the field the fowls of heaven and so we see culminating right there again this contribution if you will nebuchadnezzar you're the man you're you're the lion you're the ruler over all the beast you're you're, you're the eagle you're the ruler over all the the fowls of heaven is everybody with me nod your head wave your hand if you need to stand up and do a jumping jack do whatever you need to do amen is everybody all right do you understand what I'm talking about? It's <laughs> one thing. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? All right. And so we have Scripture speaking to him of this, of this notion. So, so here it is. If, if Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is depicted as a lion and at other times an eagle, then listen. The Bible says that the wings of the lion, they're plucked in Daniel chapter number 7. And the lion is made to stand upon its feet as the feet of man, and given to it is the heart of a man. Now, see, this is why Daniel's progressive. Think with me here for a moment. Back in Daniel chapter number 4, there was a story that was told concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He had another dream, and the dream was concerning himself and what was going to happen to himself. And in chapter number 4, remember, Nebuchadnezzar was going to be driven from all men driven from his 
dwelling place because of his pride. He was prideful. God was going to humiliate him, drive him from that place, and his dwelling was going to be with the beasts, the Scripture says. He was going to eat grass as an ox, and the Bible says for seven years, or seven times will pass over him, times being years, seven years was going to pass over him, and he was going to be in this animal-like, beast-like condition. Now consider this verse of Scripture from Daniel chapter 4 that I've just explained and spoke to you of. Nebuchadnezzar, he's driven among the beasts, and he's going to be eating grass like an ox. He's going to be there for seven years. The Bible says in Daniel 4, 7, 17, 16 rather, I, can't, I don't know my numbers, let his heart be changed from man's and let a beast heart be given to him and let seven times pass over him. So he's, a, he's out there like a beast. He's given a beast heart. Look at verse 33 now. The Bible says the same hour, Remember, he had a year to repent and make things right, but he didn't. Remember, God was giving him some compassion, a year to do so, but he didn't make things right. And so, boom, he was walking through his kingdom one day. Well, haven't I really brought things, you know, into power? I've really done well whenever it was really the hand of God that was allowing some things to take place. He was prideful. Boom, it happened. The same hour was the king fulfilled, was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven, just like prophesied, from men, and did eat grass as oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven. Notice this next phrase, till his hairs were growing like eagles. In italics in many Bibles, it's feathers, which that usually denotes that was added by the translators, but nevertheless, if you have hairs that were growing like eagles, <laughs> something's going on. <laughs> That's not normal. <laughs> Amen. And his nails were like birds' claws. And so here's Nebuchadnezzar. He goes into a transition, Bishop, of becoming a beast, has a beast heart. He has some eagles, hairs, feathers. Your Bible literally says, come upon his body. And then, no, after those seven years have taken place, he's restored to his throne. And what happens whenever he's restored to his throne, you can read in the latter portion of Daniel 4, his honor is restored to him. He assumes his, everybody say human. Human state again and gets his man's heart again. All right. The lion that has eagle's feathers that we're seeing as Babylon or the king then of Babylon, even Nebuchadnezzar, here it is. Its wings are plucked and it stands upright, upright as a man is given the heart of a man. Nebuchadnezzar was in a beast condition. He had eagle's hairs upon his body, but he returned in an upright position and was restored as a man and restored also his man's heart. Do you see the parallel that takes place from Daniel 7 with that of Daniel 4 and what we have already studied? And so with that being said, uh, whenever we see the head of gold, which we know from Daniel chapter number 2, it's stated emphatically that's the way it is. If we see that in Daniel 7, that Daniel was just having another dream from a different perspective of the exact same thing that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of in Daniel 2, then the head of gold is the lion with eagle's wings as well in chapter 7, and they are both Babylon. It's not nothing new. It's like somebody telling a story from a different perspective, but all the details are the same. It's like someone seeing a wreck. You have different eyewitnesses. Huh? But, but, but there's a parallel line where there's that overlap of what they seen was the same. Now, I know there's other times they don't see anything the same, and they must have been 
chewing lettuce and tomato and got something in their eye, but nevertheless, <clears throat> amen. Going on then, the second beast then that came out of the sea was a bear. If it parallels, checking my time, if it parallels Nebuchadnezzar's dream, then this bear should be the Medo-Persian Empire. All right? It should be the Medo-Persian Empire. Now consider this. For the most part, a bear in many respects is larger than a lion. All right? Uh, Babylon, concerning its land coverage, Medo-Persian covered more land. All right? Uh, However, a bear is inferior in its majesty compared to a lion. And remember the kingdom that was to take Babylon, according to Daniel 2, was going to be inferior to it concerning power, government, and rule, all right? The lion, king of the forest, but the bear not. The the Bible says that this bear is raised up on one side. Is everybody doing okay? No? (laughs) Did someone say no? Do you got at least seven minutes in you? Yeah, Sister Rhonda says she does. <clears throat> the bear is raised up on one side. Now, historically, the Medo-Persian Empire is made up really of two groups of people, the Medes and the Persians. Historically, the Persians had more power than the Medes had. And thus, the one-side imagery of the Persians being more powerful than the Medes. Uh, With that being said, there was only two rulers on the Median side, and there were four rulers on the Persian side. Whenever you combine the years of the two rulers on the Median side, those years accumulate to a lesser number then the four rulers and all of their years accumulated in ruling, so they even, the Persians even ruled longer than the Medians did in this Median-Persian combination. And so the Persian side of the Medo-Persian Empire would be, if you will, elevated or it's raised up above. So one side of the bear is raised up, uh, symbolizing uh, the Persians being elevated, ruling longer and being more powerful than the Medes. And within the mouth of the bear, there are three ribs, the Scripture says. Now again, you want to talk about theories? We can talk about just a couple. But I'm not, I can't go through talking about every theory, folks, because we're going to be in Daniel whenever Jesus comes back, and we'll all understand it then. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. But there are a couple, a couple of theories about the three ribs. Some believe that the three ribs represent the three main kingdoms that would, everybody say would, would be conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire, being Egypt, Lydia, which would be modern-day Turkey, and Babylon. However, others believe that the three ribs represent the three main empires that had previously ruled the territory that Medo-Persia now had within their control, which would be Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon. And if you want to know personally what I lean toward, I lean toward this right here because those are three ribs within the mouth of the bear. And whenever I think of ribs, I'm thinking of just that, ribs. I'm thinking of something that's already been devoured. You understand me? Something that's already been devoured. 
And it's these three empires, Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon, amen, that existed prior to Medo-Persia. See, because what happened in essence, the Medes, the Medo-Persians, they took the, 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 the empire from Babylon. Remember, Belshazzar is the is king and the handwriting on the wall and all that takes place. Well, Babylon took the empire from the Assyrians. The Assyrians took the empire from Egypt. And so these are the three main empires then that succeeded prior to Medo-Persia. And there's a lot of history, right, in the Egypt, Assyria, Babylon empires and how that all took place. And I don't got time to go into it. You want to look up words like Carchemish, the Battle of Carchemish, look up uh, Pharaoh Necho. Uh, yeah, that's in your Bible. Pharaoh Necho, who was over Egypt at the time. Look up at all that. It's in the Bible, too. This history is in the Bible, how all this uh, took place and come around. But I believe these three ribs to be Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon. And they devoured much flesh. They said, they said devour much flesh. There was much flesh devoured. Because at the height of the power of the Medo-Persian Empire, uh, they conquered more than six times as much land as Babylon ever did. So they were doing a lot of seizing and a lot of conquering. And so with that being said, if we're following the parallel, then the chest and arms of silver, as we know, the Medes and Persian, the Medo-Persian Empire of Daniel 2, is the bear raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth of Daniel chapter number 7. Someone, I got three minutes. I'm going to get through it too. We're going to bring the school of thought to a close so we can go onward in chapter 7 next week. Four leopard's heads. Here we are, wings of a fowl. Again, if we're following the parallel, the next on the list after Medo-Persia is Greece or the Grecian Empire. If that's so, Daniel chapter number 7, then the four-headed leopard here with the four wings of a fowl should also then be the Grecian Empire under the direction of Alexander, you'll remember, the Great. You remember him? Yes, Alexander the Great. Now, again, leopards, again, a little less majestic, then a lion, a little less majestic, then a bear, then the Babylon Medo-Persian thing. But the outstanding characteristic of a leopard, or some likes to call it a panther, is their speed and their strength and their cunningness. And so the four wings, a leopard in and of itself is fast, but whenever you put four wings on it, we're talking about speed and fast. And so how does this relate then with Greece and Alexander the Great? If you will remember which you probably don't, but that's okay. If you remember, Alexander the Great conquered the then-known world in about 13 years. He took over a lot of landmass whenever you're doing marching. All right. You're not riding some military vehicle. They're marching miles and miles, and they are conquering. What are you saying? I'm saying that's fast to conquer the then-known world in about... 13 years he, he conquered along Syria Egypt all the way over to East India that's a lot of miles folks whenever you're just on foot and he did in about 13 years so he's moving uh, quite fast now what about these four heads on the leopard well again if you'll remember Alexander the Great died a little prematurely he kind of he liked to tip the bottle and he he was young he was around 33 years old he did not have any children. He didn't have a son to give his empire to. And so he died prematurely. He drunk too much, had it, got a fever. He died. And since he didn't have a son to inherit his empire, you know what happened? His empire was divided up among his four top generals. 
was divided among his four top generals that and we'll look more closely at this. And again, I'm not giving you every... We're going to talk about these more. There's more information on these than what I'm giving right now. We'll talk about this more in chapter number 8. But those four heads and those four top generals that it went to really took his empire in the four different directions of north, south, east, and west. Greece split up in that north, south, east, west uh, division among the four generals. Again, we see four wings, sometimes wings. Uh, the four wings can also be four winds like we seen last week. Again, speaking of four directions but again we'll look at that a little bit more in chapter 8 so the four-headed leopard with these wings it's Greece Alexander died it's split among his top four generals he's conquering land masses like there's nothing to it but he's marching and he's pretty quick for his day and age to be able to accomplish what he accomplished with what he had to work with so he is the leopard with four heads and the four wings of a fowl. And so if that's the case, again, four top generals, four directions. If that is the case, again, so the belly thighs of bronze, which we seem to be Greece. And we even see, and I guess the reason why I, I lean toward this so much, folks, is because the things that I see with Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece in Daniel chapter number two, I know the head of gold is Babylon because Daniel told us is also then I see the succession in Scripture in Daniel where Medo-Persia came after Babylon. And it's later like in Daniel chapter number 9, I think it is, that I see Greece coming after Medo-Persia. And you can't argue with stuff like that, in my opinion. You can't argue much with stuff like that. And so if that's the case, the belly and thighs of brass then is the four-headed leopard with four wings of a fowl. And you can stand with me. And I know you're just kind of right, ready to go home and just empty your brain out. And I know, I know it seems like it may be fast, but folks, it, it could very easily on a few of these chapters to be three or four lessons in each of these rest of these chapters. And this is going to, I'm telling you, Christ is coming back. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm trying to do it justice, but at the same time, I just can't smell every flower along the way. Thank, everybody say thank God for podcasts. You can go back and listen to it again. You can stop, pause, let it marinate ruminate like a cow bring it back up in your molars chew on it swallow it again all right do whatever you need to do amen but those are the two thoughts of the modern day kingdoms but also then paralleling uh, with daniel chapter number two next week we're going to be looking at the fourth beast all right and endeavor to look at the little horn that comes among the ten that takes out three all right and so we're going to be getting into some stuff See, in what we've already talked about, if we wanted to, we could really go on and start tying with Revelation 13 and Revelation 17 and Revelation 19. But I'm trying to take it, you think I'm probably overloading you, but I'm really trying to take it in bite-sized pieces. I'm going to try to hit on that when we get to Revelation. All right, and we'll look backward and grab some of these things as well. Just for interest, just to pique of interest for your own consideration of Revelation 13, John Cena beast come out of the sea. It was one beast, but he says the body of it was like a leopard. Its mouth was like a lion. Its feet was that of a bear. Does that sound familiar to anything that we've been talking about tonight? It has seven heads. The lion had one head. The bear had one head. The leopard had four heads. But then the fourth beast is not spoken of, but just as having one head seven and it has ten and it has ten horns 
just, just for consideration, you do your own compare and contrast, and we'll talk about it more in the next five years. All right? But all in all, folks, it all comes down to this. And we'll get into this later on even so. People are looking. There's some people that believe that there's going to be so-called the rapture of the church, and there are others that don't believe in that. There's some believe, you know, this or that. I'm telling you, by the word of God, there's going to be a rapture. By the word of God, he will return then again and set up his kingdom upon this earth. That will be an everlasting kingdom. And that's what we're really trying to point to during and through all of this. We're going to arrive at that spot right there. Amen. Let's bow our heads this evening. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.